Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, March 15th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, a bill to ban critical race theory in the state is now law. Then, how you can access help with funeral expenses if you've lost a loved one to COVID. And the latest on a planned income tax cut. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Governor Reeves has signed Senate Bill 2113 to prohibit critical race theory in public schools and universities. This after a fiery House floor debate that pitted black lawmakers who opposed the bill against their white counterparts who largely supported it. The governor says the bill has been mischaracterized. Critical race theory proponents will claim that this law prevents the teaching of history. They'll claim that our kids won't learn about important historical events like slavery, or the civil rights movement. But we know the truth. Contrary to what some critics may claim, this bill in no way, in no shape, and in no form prohibits the teaching of history. But it's still not clear how the law will affect what happens in Mississippi classrooms and what punishment an educator might incur by running afoul of the new rules. That's according to Candace Coleman, who's with the state chapter of the American Civil Liberties Union. She speaks with Mississippi Edition producer Rob Lane. From the beginning, these bills have been used as uh, political basically dog whistles to uh, extremely conservative, very right-wing followers of legislators in the states, you know, who have introduced them. And unfortunately, Mississippi is falling into that same trap um, now with moving this bill forward to the Bill 2113. And what's even more evident of it is because the bill is so vague that, its structure itself is not very clear. So what it's going to end up doing in turn is creating these these triggers across the state with students or parents um, trying to bring forth issues to school superintendents. And it's going to make, make teachers nervous. It's going to make teachers not want to talk about anything when it comes to race because they will be afraid 
that a parent can come forward and, and make some type of complaint. This bill has no uh, real instruction on consequences or or who would be the authority in um, in creating those consequences and making sure those consequences are implemented. And then we just become a, a, one more state to get to, to pass this type of bill that only puts teachers in fear when we should be putting more po- more money in teachers' pockets and not creating a burden for them, especially our history teachers who are now going to be afraid to say certain things um, because they are, they're unsure how these uh, different school boards will be interpreting this very vague bill. And that's the that's the harm of the bill is the vagueness of the bill and leaving um, the the punishment and the consequences up to those different school boards to to interpret themselves. And we saw that during the floor debate when there was no way there there was no answer rather from Representative Hood who was presenting the bill on how this bill um, is actually going to be implemented across the state in a uniform way. I want to zoom in a little bit on one thing you mentioned. A lot of people who supported this bill, who defended this bill, pointed to the fact that, as you said, the the letter of it is not super specific. And they say that because it's a relatively nonspecific bill, it wouldn't stand to actually put anyone in a compromising position or outright ban or anything. But you seem to be saying that the nonspecificity of the language actually makes this bill extra dangerous. Is that kind of what I'm hearing? Yes. The the bill not being the bill being so vague and there not being any any details in there, that's what makes it harmful. Um, because you don't know how it's going to be implemented in all of these school districts. They kept on saying, you know, well, uh, it's, it's going to be left up to those school districts, going to be left up to these the attorneys. You have these uh, hundreds of school boards across the uh, across the, the state who, when one teacher says one thing wrong or has one uh, lesson plan or one activity that a parent does not like or a parent try, is going to try to point out and say, oh, that's CRT, um, then you're going to have this whole process that this teacher is going to have to go through. But, like, what is that process? And how are we going to, you know, uh, how, how, how will that same issue be handled in the school board, the school district next door? Um, it's it's troublesome, and for the bill itself to be named anti CRT, but then there was so much defense from the authors, and, or not even the authors, but uh, the the representative who was presenting the bill. There was so much defense about this not being an anti CRT bill, or this bill not having to do with CRT. But the title of the bill is anti CRT. It does it doesn't make sense. So. Um, you can tell that this is nothing. This bill is it does nothing but make teachers and students political pawns, and that's been our whole issue: is is politicians placing themselves in the classroom for political gain? They're doing this for a certain uh, a certain population of their constituents who uh, have been reading and have been listening to uh, uh, people and other politicians across the country who have created this boogeyman that they are calling CRT. And they think that this boogeyman is in Mississippi and in their schools, and now they're doing what they can to, to try to um, keep this boogeyman from from um, spreading when that's not even the case. 
So um, the bill itself, it, it makes no sense. The title makes no sense. The words in it make no sense. And um, what they're going to do is, is, is cause problems um, for teachers who are going to be afraid to even talk about race um, in their classrooms when so much of Mississippi's history is indeed tied to race and things that happened in our state that, that are tied to race. And we just have to, we have to, you know, accept that and admit that. And, uh, yeah, and that's, that's the harm of the bill. Is the ACLU prepared to continue fighting this legislation? What we'll do, what, like we have to do with so many of these bills that are, um, basically trying to fight an invisible problem is monitoring, um, keeping our eye on it, and um, waiting for um, an issue to arise so that we can, can see what um, what actions we, we can take after that. Um, but, yeah, right now it'll, it'll definitely just be high priority on our, um, our list when it comes to monitoring how it's implemented and, um, you know, should a teacher, should a teacher face um, some sort of, you know, um, repercussion from something they said in class and we'll keep our eye out on things like that. That was Candace Coleman. She is with the Mississippi chapter of the American Civil Liberties Union. Coming up, the latest on a planned income tax cut. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. The state is still experiencing the long tail of death that's followed weeks and even months after the Omicron variant of COVID-19 spiked earlier this year. Families who've recently lost loved ones should know they can still access the same support the federal government offered in the early months of the pandemic. That's according to Mallory White, who's with the Mississippi Emergency Management agency. FEMA is providing financial assistance for COVID-19 related funeral expenses that occurred on or after January 20th, 2020. And we've had over 11,000 COVID-19 deaths relate or COVID related deaths in Mississippi, but we've only had just a little bit more than 7,000 Mississippians that have applied for funeral assistance. MEMA saw that there was a gap in those numbers. And so we do know that there are Mississippi families um, that could be able to apply for this assistance and maybe get a little bit more relief. You're going through one of the worst times of your entire life. Um, Times are hard and funerals are expensive. This is a reimbursement program. And so we urge people to keep all of your receipts related to any funeral costs that you may incur. Bruce Lind is president of the Mississippi Funeral Directors Association. He tells MPB's Kobe Vance the pandemic has rattled the death care industry. Over the last two years, you know, through the whole pandemic, funeral directors as a whole, not just in Mississippi, but across the United States and I guess the world, you know, our duties increased, and at a time when everything was shut down, funeral homes had to remain open and continue to serve families, whether it was COVID-related deaths or not. So the influx of the COVID-related deaths on top of our average everyday deaths that continue to happen created, you know, a, quite a strain on our industry. 
Now, right now, FEMA is offering a program that would help reimburse families that have had to incur funeral expenses. You know, are y'all helping families to access that funding? Are y'all pushing families to look into that when it comes to coronavirus-related deaths? Yes, absolutely. So what we do for the families we serve at our funeral home is we um, we put together a letter to any family that had a death that was directly or indirectly related to COVID-19. We send them a letter with the link to the FEMA website as well as their 800 number that they can contact and a list of what documents they need to supply FEMA. FEMA will reimburse a family up to $9,000 uh, in the expenses, whether it's for cremation or burial. And, um, you know, I mean, it's dollar for dollar. A few stipulations and, and qualifications for that, but overall, all of our families that have had a loved one that has passed with COVID-19, whether directly or indirectly, have filed for that and received those funds. So, I mean, you have some families that have, you know, two or three deaths in their family, which creates a financial strain if they're having to come out of pocket for those that many services. Um, that was unexpected, so it, it's definitely beneficial for those families. I think it's understandable this might be a terrible time for these families, but what do you think this program can means for them to be able to offer that assistance? It means if they get to have a service for their loved one that's actually meaningful, they're not having to cut corners and, and just do something that's, you know, as cheap as possible, you know, just because that's all they can afford. So this allows them the opportunity to pay tribute to their loved one in a way that they want to and, and doesn't put their family in a financial hardship. You mentioned that some families are having to bury two family members within a close time period. Is that something y'all would usually see in other years? Not typically, no, sir. We've had some where, um, you know, the spouse the spouse passes away, and then within a, a couple of months, their elderly spouse had caught COVID somewhere, and they passed away from it too. So, you know, that leaves that family having two two funerals within, you know, just a matter of months from one another. I also wanted to ask, um, when it comes to restrictions for, you know, the receptions or uh, gatherings of any sort when it comes to the funeral, how have things been going with that? Um, last time I talked with the uh, Funeral Directors Association was near the beginning of the pandemic, or more near the beginning, in 2020, and there were restrictions on gatherings. Uh, have things gotten easier? It has. Um, you know, just like every other industry, you know, we still have our own protocols in place, you know, masks when necessary, hand sanitizer, those type things that, you know, was not a common practice prior to the pandemic. But as far as gatherings, it is slowly getting back, I'll say, to normal, but it's the new normal, um, to where, you know, crowds can actually come back together and pay tribute to someone that they care about or a member of their community or family. So, um, so yes, it is getting more to a traditional sense normal compared to what it was in the beginning part of the pandemic, for sure. Do you think getting back to normal is helping people heal uh, or at least have the opportunity to to cope with their uh, loss in a better way? Oh, absolutely. You know, at the beginning of the pandemic, when we were having to limit, you know, the number of people in our funeral homes and churches to 10 people to, to honor, you know, the life of a loved one or pay their respects, you know, you have immediate families that are larger than 10. So how do you pick which 10 gets to come? So it was very difficult during that time. So to have the opportunity now for the entire family to come and, and have a service and, and pay those respects, I mean, it's totally different than, than before. So it, it's definitely helping them to heal and to grieve because that's important important to that process. I wanted to go back to the Mississippi's death rate. We have one of the highest death rates in the nation when it comes to the coronavirus. Have you all been feeling that as funeral directors? 
Absolutely. Uh, every funeral home that I've talked to are busier now than they have been in years past. The, the increase in the coronavirus deaths over the last year, you know, that definitely contributes to it. So, you know, just like every other industry, when, when funeral homes are short-staffed, the job must be done, and we have to still be there. So you have funeral directors and funeral homes that's working more hours, you know, to care for these families, and and the coronavirus has definitely put a strain a strain on the industry as a whole. Bruce Lynn is president of the Mississippi Funeral Directors Association. The latest on a planned income tax cut is still ahead. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. The cost of living is on the rise in Mississippi, and major deadlines are around the corner for the state legislature. Those factors have prompted the Senate to tweak its proposed tax cut against a more aggressive House plan. Senate Finance Committee Chair Josh Harkin says the Senate bill now cuts more taxes to offer inflation relief to Mississippians. The main difference is we've taken a look at the actual top rate of 5% and we're bringing it down over a period of four years to 4.6%. And then we also eliminate the 4% bracket on that first $5,000 of taxable income. Uh, We still have the grocery tax cut in there. We still have um, the rebate portion of it. Uh, We've also added a suspension of the gas tax, which is 18.5 cents on uh, every gallon of gas. Now, what we're doing is we're bringing capital expense money. We've had, obviously, record revenues coming in. We've got a lot of one-time money sitting there. And what we're doing is we're applying that to help provide some inflation relief to people, at the not only at the grocery st- uh, store, but we're also, uh, that's recurring revenue, but we're doing it in the rebate and the gas tax portion of our plan. Why are you all addressing the, addressing the taxes for gas right now um, well, in I terms think, of inflation? I think what, what Mississippians are seeing is a, is a real shock at the pump. I think they're seeing uh, prices on a lot of items have, have skyrocketed, and, and it's, you know, for families that are working, this is a, uh, a real expense. And so what we're trying to do is provide some instant relief in those areas, uh, specifically gas, specifically at the grocery store. And so what we're doing is we're, we're utilizing, we're kind of focusing our efforts in those directions. And by applying some of this one-time money to taxes, we're providing relief to Mississippians at the pump. When you go fill up your car, your gas will be 18 and a half cents cheaper for six months, which is supposed to help, uh, you know, families get around. So I think at the end of the day, what you're looking at is it's $430 million a year that we get from the the gas tax uh, to go to roads and bridges. And while we're going to make up that gas tax to our road and bridges, uh, we're going to basically help citizens of our state absorb that. You also mentioned that there were changes to the the income tax plan. You know, y'all had stated that y'all wanted to eliminate just the 4%. Now y'all are adding on more about we the 5%. We added on more, but we also extended the time frame out. So our original plan was four years. We moved this to an eight-year plan. Uh, it's $440-something million almost of recurring revenue. So what we've done is we've taken a we've taken uh, the top marginal rate and we've brought it down to 4.6%. That'll be the ninth lowest in the country right now. And we've also eliminated that 4% bracket. So over eight years, it's, it's not a chunk of up front the first year it's it's a, a first of a kind of a hit of about 150 million dollars the first year but it's about 35 40 million dollars a year 
all the way through year eight. And what you're going to have is you're going to have a single rate. It's going to be 4.6%, and you're not going to pay taxes on your first uh, $10,000 of taxable income over the deductions and exemptions right now. you think that's going to be enough to get some house lawmakers on board? Well, I, I certainly hope so. I, I mean, I think it's, it shows that we're, we're trying to be precise and target our, our cuts. We're also doing it without raising sales taxes. This plan does not raise any taxes on anybody. So that's another part of our plan, I think, that uh, we've, we've committed to and we're staying uh, in line with is, is we're not raising sales tax on anyone. And what do you think these tax changes would do for Mississippians in the state? Well, let them keep more of their, their money they earn uh, through working and uh, let them decide where they spend it. And then lastly, I wanted to ask, you know, some senators brought it up. They're asking why should Mississippi pursue this right now as we have a lot of federal money in the state right now. And they're asking, is this being used to justify the changes to tax? And looking at that one-time spending or one-time funding coming into the state to justify future loss in revenue. Well, I think you, you got to look at you have to look at your actual collections, and you also have to look at your budget. Where are you spending compared to your actual collections? If we're collecting seven billion dollars, which we're on pace to collect over seven billion dollars this year, but our spending is around six one six two, that's eight nine hundred million dollars of room. So to say there's not room to put in a $115 million tax cut to benefit the citizens, that they'll take that money. And I think you've had a little case study of what happens when people have extra money in their pocket. They spend it. Uh, they'll spend it back in the economy. And th- those dollars will flow back through the, uh, the coffers and, and back through other people. Other businesses will you know, have uh, sales that you know, people have money to buy things. Those business owners will have extra money that they've made. They'll either buy more inventory or they'll they'll spend it on themselves and so it's just it's a continuous rotation of of money through the economy but it gives the citizens the power to purchase and not the government so we're trying to we're trying to give them more of their money back we're also trying to to do the things that the citizens expect us to do we're trying to balance that out it's a balancing act and i think that's where we're we feel like we are uh, in line with what we're supposed to do what we people expect of us but also give the money back that uh people work earn to uh through their jobs and through work and and let them choose where they spend it and is that one-time tax uh, rebate for residents still in the bill yes it is it's in our current plan, and uh, you know, look, this is a proposal. We'll see where it goes, but uh, we feel like we've we've uh, kept in line without raising taxes. We feel like we've uh, addressed uh, some inflationary needs that people have at the pump and at the grocery store. Uh, everybody's got to put gas in their car, and everybody's got to eat. So those are two areas that we feel like we've provided some relief, and we've also uh, come around to helping to lower the mar- the top marginal rate to 4.6. It makes us competitive, puts us in a uh, top 10 in the country. Senator Josh Harkins chairs the Senate Finance Committee. Senator Harkins, thank you for talking with us today. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Again, Josh Harkins is chair of the State Senate Finance Committee. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Stick around for a full morning of Mississippi Radio. Coming up at 9, it's Money Talks. Then at 10, it's in legal terms. And at 11, don't miss Southern Remedy. Find past installments of this and other Think Radio shows online at mpbonline.org. I'm Desiree Frazier. See you tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi. Mississippi edition only on MPB Think Radio.